What a divine night that Jesus came to the earth on that special night so many years ago. 1223 A.D., St. Francis of Assisi, there in a small village area in Italy, Grecio, confused and frustrated about the state of Italy, all the love for perversion and wickedness that was happening during this time, and this godly preacher wanting to make an impact on his city. Frustrated about how materialistic and selfish Italy had become. Christmas Eve service there in 1223, he decided he was going to do something different. He was going to help Italians see what it really looked like, what it felt like for Jesus to come to the earth. And all the comfort of the big cathedral there and all of the nice seating that they had and year after year they would meet day after day in their services or week after week. St. Francis decided to do something different. This particular Christmas Eve, he took everyone outside of the city. He found a family that had just had a baby, a young couple, grabbed an oxen from one of the farmers, got a couple guys that worked out in the fields to come, and he set up the first live nativity scene right outside of the city in a little shallow cave area to make it represent a manger as the evening draw near and he began to preach and people heard about hey he's doing the service out in the the hill area and they began to come down through the wooded area outside of city and you could hear them talking and getting excited about what is this well this is different as they showed up there in the Italian winter, there to have mass, celebrate the birth of Jesus. For the first time, many, many years, they had a revelation that the King of Glory didn't come in pomp and circumstance. He didn't come in comfort. He didn't ride in his nice heated car. He didn't come out of heaven in all of the glory that he was and He didn't come as the great creator, for he was there, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No, he came in in the lowly form of a child, a baby. And he didn't come to a place of comfort. No, he came to a manger. The King of glory, as he was represented there by St. Francis, and the people that stood around as St. Francis began to preach, began to remind them that it's not about the gift-giving and It's not about the comfort of life and how expensive and valuable are the possessions that you have and how wealthy have you become, how educated have you become. He pointed him back to the king of glory, lowering himself to the form of humanity. And not just coming in any form of humanity, but at the the most tender spot of humanity, the birth, the infancy, the child, the baby. And as he began to preach to them and, and remind them of what Christmas really was, to try to turn their hearts back to what really matters, and that is that the King of Glory sent his only Son, that you and I would now have a way back to the Father to forgive us of our sins. As he began to 
remind them of these things. And they could feel it in the cold winter air. And, the, and, and as they sh- sh- huddled around this kind of live nativity scene in his uh, active sermon illustration, people began to weep. You could hear them all stretched out throughout the wooded areas. They tried to get close to the little cave area. And they began to weep. And he gave a call to repentance. The people began to fall on their knees. Realizing that they had become greedy, materialistic, and selfish. The very opposite of what Jesus came to do in our lives. I'll tell you, on that night, as St. Francis stood there with the first live nativity scene. He read a passage out of the book of Luke, chapter 2, and I'd like to take you there today. Luke chapter 2 and verse 16. Excuse me, verse 6 through 19. It says this, and while they were there talking about Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. In verse 7, and she gave birth, talking about Mary, to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were terrified, and the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Everybody say good news. Come on, you can do better. I say good news. Of great joy that will be for you and all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company. Everybody say great company. A great company of heaven, ho- heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, and I lost my passage. There we go. Said one to another, Let's go into heaven. And, excuse me, let's, let's uh, where did I lose my place? And heaven appeared on earth and peace and men. And when the angels left them and gone into heaven, the, hep- the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. As they showed up at the manger scene, the shepherds with their sheep, first thing that they do is they bow. I thought it was interesting that the God of heaven and earth We come to man, and his announcement of his birth would be to shepherds. Now, the reason why that is so significant is because most of us don't shepherd much. I don't see many of you coming in with your staff and having just coming from the fields. It's not something we do a whole lot of in in this era of life. But shepherding was, was pretty important in biblical times. Taking care of herds of sheep was a vital part of society but it was the lowest part it was the least wanted job it was the least of those who were educated it was those who would spend 24 hours a day 7 days a week out in the elements taking care of these animals they smelled like them they looked like them at times they, and, and these guys if you will they were, they were kind of like blue collar folks like our era and and the religious people of the day didn't like them a whole lot. In fact, they, they were mad at them. Because they spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week taking care of sheep. They never went to church. They were constantly out in the elements taking care of sheep. So they never had the ability to go in the community of believers and worship God. 
They just never made it to services. Kind of like some of you guys. But I thought it was interesting that when God decided to announce the birth of his son, he didn't go to the religious leaders. Come on, somebody. He didn't go to the important civic leaders of the community. He didn't announce it to the great thinkers of the era. He went to the guys who don't even go to church a whole lot. He went out to the the guys who were rough and smelled. Their life, their their skin's rough and their, their language is rough and the way they interact with people is rough. And he went out to them and sent his angels and he said, go announce to them first that the Savior has come. That life now has meaning. That I'm bringing peace to all humanity. And my favor will rest upon those who call me Lord. Go and report that something supernatural has happened. You start with the shepherds. And I love the shepherds' response. Let's go, let's go see it. Let's go find it. Let's go see the Savior. And as they get there to him, they literally they bow down. At the same time, there's a star that appears many months earlier out in the east. And the pagan astronomers of the east, they see the star and they begin to follow it, knowing that it's going to lead them to the king. Many months after this scene has transpired, after the birth, the wise men show up. And if you go to that passage in the, in the book of Mark chapter 2, it says, upon arriving and seeing the child and his mother, they immediately bow down and begin to worship. They begin to worship. They get down on their knees and they begin to work. It's what the shepherds did. It's what the mother of the Messiah did. It's what the father of the Messiah did. It's what the shepherds, the wise men, and the family, when they saw the child, they bowed down and worshiped. The angels gave us a promise that this child, that this Messiah would bring us peace and that the favor of God would be upon us. I often wonder why, I would often wonder throughout the years, why did Jesus come in the in this lowly form, in this intimate form. A child can't do anything for themselves. A baby can't feed itself. It can't take care of itself. If it's left out in the elements, it'll die. Why did the king of glory come like that? Why didn't he come like, uh, like Hercules and all of his power? Why, why didn't he come like a, like a giant figure lifted above the earth that we could see, you know, towering? 80, 30 stories high in the air, speaking in a booming voice because he is the creator. He is all-powerful. Why did he come in a simple, humble, lowly form? And friend, the answer is this. Because if Jesus had come in all of his glory, you and I could not stand up to meet him where he was at. So he bowed down and came in the lowliest form so that we could bow down and interact with him personally one-on-one. Can I tell you the key to peace? Can I give you this day and all the hullabub of giving presents? Can I bring you back to the favor of God that will rest on your life and my life when you and I come back to a simple truth? And that is, not only is He Lord, but He is to be bowed down and worshipped. When we bow our heart and we say, Jesus, You are the living God. Jesus, You have control over my life. This and only this act 
brings us into the right relationship with the King of glory. I get told by people all the time, you know, Pastor, I'm coming to church. I'm hoping you guys can help me fix my marriage. Friend, I can't help you fix your marriage. I can tell you what can fix your marriage. You must come and bow down to the living Savior. I I can't help you no longer have issues with substance abuse. I I can't fix that, some magical sermon that I'm going to give to fix you. But what I can do is point you to what the wise men knew to be true, what the shepherd knew to be true, and what, and what Jerry, uh, Mary and Moses, Moses uh, Mary and Joseph knew to be true. Moses is in there somehow. He's got to be in here somehow. And that was the truth that they had to bow down and make him Lord of their life. Years ago when I was pastoring young adults, I had this couple girls that I love with all of my heart. Jamie and I loved them so much. A few months into their senior year, they started sitting in the back of our youth service, folding their arms, not wanting to be there. And if you know my personality, I can only take that so long. And so I walked up to them after one of the services and said, hey, what's wrong with you? And they're like, well, we just tired of all this Jesus stuff. And, and I just told them, I said, well, it's America. You don't have to be here if you don't want to be here. Why do you come? Because you're making me frustrated. And, you, you know, you got the mully grubs. You don't want it. Why do you come? Because our parents make us. I said, well, listen, I'm going to talk to your parents and see if they'll stop making you. Because you don't want to be here. And I, I want to ask you something. Why do you not want to serve God? We've been in church our whole life. We've been made to serve God. And i tell you one thing. We don't want to. They both told me just like that. Sweet, beautiful little girls, but they were tired of it. I said, well, what do you want to do? They said, we want to live like everybody else. We want to go to the clubs. We want to drink if we want to drink. It doesn't, we want to have sex. Why are we have not, why can we not do that? See, friend, what had happened is somewhere along the line, they stopped bowing down. He stopped being Lord of their life. I said, well, listen, I, I, I'll pray for you. They said, well, I'm going to just tell you this. As soon as we graduate high school, you won't see us anymore because our parents won't be able to control us then. And they, they, they kept their word. They graduated a few months later. They immediately got involved in going out clubbing and found a whole new set of friends that they could go do drugs with and have sex with and all this kind of stuff. And I, it probably wasn't nine months after them graduating high school. Might, might even been less than that. I get a call in the middle of the night. See, they had been about 30 minutes out at one of these clubs, about 2 o'clock in the morning, loaded up, them and all their friends in a car and drinking and plastered. They start coming home down the interstate and one of the groups of friends had gone out before them and broken down on the side of the interstate and just pulled over on the shoulder. Well, instead of pulling over on the shoulder, they stopped beside them still on the interstate, still in the lane. And an 18-wheeler came over the overpass, didn't know that they were dead stopped, didn't realize that they were just sitting there and ran over the top of their car and killed those two girls. I get the phone call. Pastor, come quick. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I make it to the family's home. The dad is just dumbfounded. The mom is banging the floor. Why? Why? I'm there praying with them for a few minutes when we get a knock at the door and it's the state trooper. He says, I'm sorry to ask this, but someone's going to have to come and identify the body. The mom begins to lose it. The dad goes, I'll go. I said, come on, I'll take you. I load him up in my car, and we go down to the hospital, and down in the basement of that hospital was the morgue. By this time, it's 
sun has not started to come up yet. It's real eerie, that moment in the morning hours, right before the sun comes up. He leads us to this giant metal door, like what you would find on the front of an industrial refrigerator. Takes the padlock off, opens it up, flips the switch. This room about this size, maybe a little smaller. The fluorescent lights begin to try to warm up, and real eerie. As my eyes adjust from the dark to the light, there are probably 30, 40 tables with black bags on top of them. And so at that moment, the, the dad just falls to his, he, he can't stand, he, he, he all but faints. And I, I drag him out and I sit him out in the hallway and I go in and I begin to try to find these girls. The attendant says, I'm sorry, we, don't, we didn't name them on the outside of the bag. You're going to have to unzip until you find what you're looking for. And when I came around to those two girls and I found it was them, I began, I began to weep uncontrollably. And then I got mad. I got mad. He said, Pastor, why were you mad? I got mad because all they had to do was bow to the king of glory. But somewhere in their life, they decided, I don't want him to be Lord. I am Lord of my life. And everything around me, everyone focus on me and what I want. Every, everything is about me in this life. My education job that I work, my family situation, all of it is about me. And in that decision, it set them on a path of destruction. I, I don't know if they went to heaven or hell. I, I don't know. I don't know if they cried out at the last moment. That's, that's not my point. My point is, they had a beautiful destiny ahead of them on this planet. They could have beautiful children and, 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 and lived a great life and done great things for God. But when the moment came to continue bowing before the great one, they decide I'll no longer bow. But I'm in control of my life. I want to challenge us today. Jesus didn't come in loneliness of nature because he had to. He could have come to the planet and dictated to us that we would serve him. He could have, in all of his power and glory, forced his will on us. The beauty of our creator is that he loves us so much that he gave us choice, free will. And he woos us to himself. So he comes, as Philippians says, he said, says he did not think it wrong or evil to lower himself into human form. Our response to this great gift, to this great love, is that of the wise men to come and bow our lives and worship him. I'll tell you, I can't give you peace, but he can. I can't give you the favor that causes life to work when it doesn't work for others, but he can. But that peace, that favor, is for those of us who bow our knee and bow our heart and allow the baby child to be Lord over our lives. And as you and I come into this place of surrender, this place of lowliness, as we get down on the level that he came to earth in, he then will raise us up. Seated with him in heavenly places is how the Bible says it. I don't know about you, but I don't want Christmas to be just about, did I get 
the socks that I was hoping to get? Did we, did we eat good enough? Did I like what was on TV? Because this Christmas story is dumb. I want it to be about what it was meant to be about. And that is, God limited himself in the form of a child. Humbled himself and lowered himself so that I could come to him. And as I bow my heart and my life, he then embraces me. And the prophecy of the angels, that peace has come to humanity. And the favor of God will rest upon all men and women who call upon his name. Would you stand with me across the room today? May Christmas be what it was meant to be. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. Here at Church on the Hill, we love you so much. And whether you're a member here or you're visiting with friends and family, or whether you just walked in off the street, I want you to know the risen Savior came as a child. He humbled himself into the form of a baby. He lowered himself so that he connect, could connect with us. And today, our response should be the bowing of our heart. As you have your head bowed and your eye closed, I would ask, have you bowed your life to Jesus Christ? Are you the one standing in the centerpiece of this nativity? Is your goal in life that everyone cheers you and bows to you? Have you got caught up in this world system and forgot that there was a God who created you, who lost you to sin, who then sent his only begotten son so that he could redeem you back to himself? And our response is of lowliness and bowing of our heart and humility and making him the Lord of our life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, today if you're away from God, I want to call you home. If you've never been a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to make him the Lord of your life. To bow your heart, to surrender your life. Maybe you were like those young ladies who grew up in the church and over time it's just become dead to you. And instead of bowing, you've decided to stand and do what you want to do with your life. Friend, I promise you, that will end in tragedy. Oh, but my love, the lover of my soul, the one who saved me and transformed my life is now reaching out to you today. If you're away from him, I'll call you home. If you've never known him, I'll call you into a right relationship. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, you're speaking to me. I'm away from God. Friend, I want to lead you back to him. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I won't embarrass you. I won't humiliate you. I'll just pray with you right where you stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if this is you, you say, it's time. I need to be right with the Lord. Would you admit that to yourself and to the Lord by just lifting your hand and saying, that's me. Pray for me, Pastor. It's time to get right with the Lord. God bless you. Who else? Say, pray, pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'll lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, making it right. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Three, four more seconds. Give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. He's tugging at your heart. I'm ready to bow my life before the Lord. I'm ready to make him the Lord of my life. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. Quickly lift your hand. Thank you, sweet love. Anybody else? Pray for me. It's time. I see it. You can put it back down. God bless you. Been a number of you. Now, as you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of bowing, if you will, a prayer of giving your life to the Lord. I want you to pre repeat this with me. I want you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I'd like everyone in the congregation to say it out loud. Say, Jesus, tonight, today, 
I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me from all of my sin. Make me right with you. Jesus, I declare you are the Lord of my life. You are the center of my life. I ask you now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every one of us here today. That Lord God, that we would continue to bow our knee. To bow our heart. Lord, in moments of conflict with our spouse. That we'll bow our knee and bow our heart to Jesus. With frustrations at work. We'll bow our knee and bow our heart to King Jesus. We'll let the peace of God that you came to bring us overwhelm us. In times of frustration and agitation and pride and egotism and perversion and hatred. Lord, we bow our knee. We bow our heart. And Lord God, we say have control. And Lord, we thank you for your favor that rests upon these, your precious people. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.